So the, this morning, I just wanted to, uh, to talk, and hopefully it'll speak into some stuff and seasons that people are going through at the moment. Um, it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were just uh, was having a conversation actually, Lisa and I, with Luke and Rachel, and um, I was not lamenting, but, but acknowledging the fact that uh, one thing that we've invested a lot of time and energy and even money into is shaping a culture of discipleship. So where we really value us shaping our lives and becoming like Jesus. So being like Jesus, doing what Jesus did, telling people about him, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and having a, a big focus in on and people getting whole and getting set free and living full abundant lives. That's my son. Um, and then so to have this kind of focus and emphasis on, on that and so not just living people who kind of put on a facade and then and do the kind of happy church thing and then really and go away and live in brokenness or just covered up. We want to live lives together and in community that where we're actually living and, we, and we're exposed. So if there's stuff in your life that Jesus doesn't want to be there, it's going to get revealed and in love and by his power and his grace and his mercy, you're going to get set free from that because the life that Jesus has for you is the most perfect, amazing, abundant life that there could ever be. Um, and I think sometimes people's experience of, of the Christian faith is one where it's a whole lot of don'ts. You know, you can't do this and don't do this and you shouldn't do this and, and it's this a life, almost a constricted life. Um, and yet when we look at what Jesus proclaimed as the good news of his kingdom coming, it was an abundant life, a life of freedom. You know, the, the Bible says that, you know, the Lord is spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus says, I've come to give life and life in abundance. The fruit of the spirit is joy. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. There's all of this language that speaks about who God is. And it's all just good stuff. It's stuff that anybody would go, I want that. Like if you were to ask somebody the question, do you want some more joy in your life? You'd be like, heck yeah. You know, do you want some more love in your life? Do you want more freedom in your life? And so, but I think sometimes when we don't pursue then becoming like Jesus, then we get trapped in this place of, well, I'm not like Jesus, and yet, and I'm not then experiencing the life that Jesus has for me. And so then you get kind of, you get a bit over trying to do the Christian walk and not receiving the fruit that comes. But when we do that, we make those that kind of hard decision to actually pursue becoming like Jesus. Although it is a, a long journey, it's a process of God working things out and changing. And, and there's, there's hard things in that because it involves repentance and it involves forgiveness. It involves doing things that aren't intuitive to you. But as we journey more and more into this life of freedom, then we actually start to see the freedom of God outworked in our life. Yeah? So if you're, in, if you're in bondage to sin, so just say you're in bondage to the sin of, of, of alcoholism, like you're addicted to, to alcohol. Um, if you're in that bondage, then the thing that you feel like gives you the most freedom is, is alcohol. When actually the thing that gives you most freedom would be to not have that addiction and then to be free from that addiction, if you know what I mean. Um, I remember when I first became a Christian, so I became a, well... I started attending a church service when I was 16. I think I was probably 19 by the time I actually got serious about Jesus. Um, but uh, 
at that time, it was always the thing. It's like, oh, Brad, but you can't now. You can't do this, and you can't do this, and you can't do this. And it's like, well, actually, I'm free to not have to do that. So you you want to get drunk on the weekend? I don't have to get drunk on the weekend. I could, but I don't want to. So I have that freedom. That's that thing of, of choice. But anyway, um, the the message this morning is on your life as intercession. Is what I is what I've called it. Um, and so essentially, um, in your life, you will more than likely find yourself in wilderness seasons. So seasons where you feel like you may be kind of stuck in a place where it's a dry place, it's a desert kind of season where you're not feeling like there's a lot of abundance coming. And so the people of Israel, you know the story, and they spend, they get taken out of captivity and they spend 40 years wandering around in the, in the, in the wilderness. So I haven't even been alive for that long. You know, to spend all of that time. And, and But God was leading them out into the promised land and they spent all this time wandering around in the desert. So you're more than likely, as you journey as a follower of Jesus, find that there will just be seasons in your life where you're not feeling the flow of the abundance of God. Um, and often before we experience a breakthrough in an area of our life, there is a preceding season of hardship or a wilderness experience. So before we come to the breakthrough, there can often be a season of hardness or a season of a wilderness kind of distant season. Does that make sense? That's just been my experience. Um, so who can tell me what a wilderness season feels like? Amy? Death? Painful, it can be lonely. If you're isolated, you can feel a disconnection from God. Hey, like talking to a brick wall. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you're in a wilderness season, it may bring up negative feelings. I think your true heart is exposed when you're in that place, when you're in that place of dryness and you're crying out to God. That actually, what's truly on the inside kind of gets exposed. You know, it's like when you're put in a pressure situation, whatever generally comes out is what's really there. Um, you know, it's always a thing, it's like, you know, oh, my kids, my kids made me angry. That's not true. My kids were just kids, and then I chose to let anger come out. Um, my kids never made me angry. Um, what happened this morning? So, um, Yeah, there can be a loss of direction, a temptation to hopelessness. So when you find yourself in this wilderness season, you can imagine being stuck in a desert and although God's providing your every need, um, you're still in this place where it's like, but there's, I know he's promised me more than this. And that's the thing of living in a, in a, in a, in a church, in a community, in a culture where there's a, a prophetic voice happening. It means that you're constantly kind of hearing the goodness of God and what he has for you. And it's like, so I know, because it's been prophesied over me, I've read in the Bible, I know this abundant life that God has for me, but right now my experience is not that. And that can be the hardest thing, is remaining hopeful in a, in a place that's not what you know God has for you. But as well to know that sometimes there's a, there's a purposefulness of God in this wilderness season. And identifying that can give you, uh, I guess, it can give you hope to journey out of that wilderness season and to go through the process that God has for you in the midst of that. So I had, um, it was a couple of months ago now, and I say it as like, this is not, it was, it was tough, but it wasn't like years of hardship or break. So I don't want to put something on this experience that I had as being like, oh, wow, woe is me. Um, but it was, it's, it's my example. Um, but I, yeah, I just, um, 
it was through situations and conversations, this sort of stuff. But I just found this yeah, incredible anxiety kind of come over me. And, and it lasted for about a month. And it was, it was, at times, crippling. It was just almost constant. And I felt like there was nothing I could do to get myself out of this place of anxiety. Um, and I just felt like I couldn't. I didn't have any capacity to do anything. I just was, yeah, it was really bad. Um, thankfully, not long into the process, um, into this short season, that I felt like God spoke to me and said, I've, I've taken my hand off in order to expose something in you that, that I want to do in you. Okay? So the thing is that in your life, um, there is, there's stuff in your life that doesn't belong that you are unaware of. And if you are aware of everything that is wrong in your life, every area of your heart that is out of alignment with God's heart and truth and all of that sort of stuff, it would be overwhelming. Yeah, does anybody kind of feel that? It's like, I just know, I mean, I don't know there's lots of stuff that I know is there and I haven't dealt with, let alone all the stuff that is there that I haven't even dealt with, I'm not even aware of, you know. So God, that's just the reality of who we are. So God is constantly in a place of covering us. His love just covers all of our sin and bit by bit in His grace, He exposes things. And he's, I think God's gentle like that. The Holy Spirit is gentle like that. Um, and, he, and, he, and He reveals something and we're like, and through repentance we can say, yes God, that is not right. I don't want that. And we'll step into, a, into that freedom and all that sort of stuff. Um, so for me, I just, uh, yeah, I felt like then through stuff that he was doing something to mature my spirit man. Sounds really weird, but if, if um, so I believe we're, we're, spiritual, we're spiritual beings. So we are, at the core of who we are is we are spirit and we're formed by God as a spirit in our mother's womb. And, and we have a soul, so the spirit is kind of the core of who we are. We have a soul, which is like our mind, our will, our emotions, and we have a body, which is like the, the suit that our spirit wears. Um, but the Bible talks about us having a spirit, having a spirit man. Um, and so it's something of, I guess, deep within the core of who we are, um, that we are, you know, is faculties, that's not the right word, um, we're, 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 we're a spirit, and, so, and that spirit has a mind, it has, you know, has different kind of parts to it. Anyway, I'm confusing myself. Um, so what I felt like was there was areas in my spirit that were immature and that God wanted to mature, he wanted to draw out. And there was, it was just a weird, you know, when God lines things up, so even having prayer ministry and then getting given a book and reading stuff. And I had an experience probably a couple of years ago where I felt like God awakened me to see my spirit Man, and this is if you've heard of Worm Boy, and I saw my spirit as like a little black kind of cartoon worm, and um, which I thought that's kind of weird and kind of cool or whatever, uh, and it was it was helpful in, in some measure. And then I'm reading this book, and it talked about um, this thing of masculinity, and in, in a negative way of being like a worm boy. I was like, oh, oh I thought it was oh, a cute little worm boy. It's like bad little worm boy. Um, and so, so even in that, it's just like you know more kind of confirmation of what God wanted to do. And because I knew that then God had said, so it's like I've lifted off my hand to expose something that I want to do in you. And it wasn't necessarily something that I felt like I wanted to do, particularly for me, but for who he's called me to be. So I've had lots of prophetic words about being a spiritual father and to multitudes and all this sort of stuff, which is so outside of my realm of understanding and, uh, you know, 
possibility in the natural in that kind of sense, but it's something like, well, God, I, I trust you. If lots of different people that don't know each other are all prophesying the same thing, it's like, okay, God, I'm going to pay attention. Uh, and so it was something where I felt like then to, to truly operate out of who I am is to operate out of my spirit, so out of that core of my being. And so God wanted to do that work in me. And knowing that then, it just meant that I, I chose not to, because God wanted to do a work in my spirit, that, mean, that meant that I needed to be most aware of what God was doing deep on the inside of me. And because we have a soul, which is sometimes where we can live most aware, I knew that there were certain people that if I went to that person and had a conversation, that'd make me feel really good in my soul. Or if I went and had prayer with that person, that'd make me feel really good in my soul. And it would kind of shut down the awareness of what God was doing at a deeper level. And so then I felt like I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go to people. And I mean, going to someone and being prayed for is a good thing. Going to someone and be, being affirmed or that sort of stuff is a good thing. But I felt in this season, no, I just need to, to do this. And I did a, a bunch of other things. But... Um, yeah, I just felt like it was then, I'm in this wilderness season, this season of hardship for myself, but it was there was God's purposefulness in the midst of that. So, wilderness season. Um, so, whatever the reason for your season, if, you're, if you feel like, who, does anybody here feel like they're in a bit of a wilderness season? Just like in a bit of a patch, it's like, I know this is not where God wants me to be, but I'm just going through a journey at the moment, and then God's going to bring me out. It's for a purpose of worship. Anybody feel like that? Two people? Three people? Okay. Okay. Um, cool. That's good. So whatever the reason for your season, if you're not in one, you might come into one at some stage. I'm not praying that over you, but, uh, but whatever whatever season that you're in and whatever the reason is, God's working out all things for your good. Yeah? Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who, who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Um, but I was thinking, so, so what are some potential reasons as for why you might find yourself in a season of hardship or a, season, a wilderness season? Yeah? So the first question is, is it because God is punishing you? Who thinks it might be because God is punishing them? Don't preach my sermon, Amy. <laughs> so if you are in Christ, can God punish you? No, why? Because Jesus was punished on our behalf. Um, 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears is not being perfected in love. So God's perfect love casts out that fear, because fear has to do with punishment, it says. So if the perfect love casts out the fear, it means there's no punishment that can be given to us. Isaiah 53.5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed, for our iniquities, upon him, so upon Jesus, was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So the gospel message is, because Jesus was punished on your behalf, you cannot be punished by God. Okay? If you say, I, I, I'm, I say yes to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you, you become a Christian, then God all of a sudden goes, all of your punishment has been placed upon Jesus, and you get all of his righteousness. Everything that Jesus won on the cross is now your inheritance and everything that you have spent your life doing, all of your sin and your brokenness and all that sort of stuff has been put upon Jesus on the cross. Yeah. Good news. Hallelujah. Woo. Yeah. I think we get... We, we hear that too many times and it becomes like... Oh, yeah. um, and so it means then if, if 
God has punished Jesus on your behalf, then if he was to punish you because of what you've done, then it, it, it nullifies the cross. It makes it pointless. Well, why did Jesus die if God's going to punish you as well? So it's not because God is punishing you. If you find yourself in a wilderness season, in a, in a season of hardship, in a season of bondage, it is not because God is punishing you. Is it because of disobedience? Possibly. So sometimes we can lead ourselves into wilderness seasons through disobedience. When we fail to listen to God's voice, we will naturally wander aimlessly and can end up going around in circles. Like the people of Israel, when they're in the wilderness, it was actually a very short journey that they needed to make. And they spent 40 years because they just went around and around in circles. Uh, Proverbs 10.17 says, Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, uh, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So we can be led astray by the voice of others or by our own disobedience to what God is saying to us. Yeah? Would you agree? Anybody find themselves in that place? Yeah. And sometimes as well, it's not even that we sin uh, in terms of like we go and do lots of bad things, but when we choose to disobey God, so God speaks clearly to us, we hear his voice and we say no to that, um, then uh, it's, it's almost like I think God can lift his hand off of us because, and to expose that because for us to walk into obedience is to walk into life. And for us to not walk into obedience, there's going to be no life that's going to be produced by that. Um, so God may leave us in the wilderness in order to spend some time training us to obey. I remember I had, I had this experience, and, and this is from Bill Johnson. He says, look, if you, don't, if you feel like God's not speaking to you, go back to the last thing that he told you to do and do that. Uh, and I remember I had an experience, again, it was to do with my spirit man, and, uh, and I, was, I was driving in the car, I was like, oh, I just feel like God's not speaking to me much at the moment, I'm just not feeling his presence, and I'm like, oh, that's right, I'll go back to what he said. And God had just, in time of worshiping, he said, I saw a picture of the Holy Spirit and my spirit, um, and it was like the Holy Spirit was like, and God said, the Holy Spirit's your personal trainer. And so then I felt like, and then the Bible says about tongues, edifies the spirit. Anyway, so I just felt like I just need to spend lots of time praying in tongues. And so, uh, so I did that. But it was going back then, I felt like that then shifted things. Because God had told me, this is what I want you to do. And I'd kind of done it for a bit and then lost that. So then you go back to that thing beforehand. Yeah? And I think God, again, God in his mercy and his grace, it's like if you're traveling on a train track, that, and you kind of start to divert off, and then God starts laying track in front of you as you as you move along. So it's like, well, I'm staying on track. It's like that's because God, in His mercy, is actually rerouting things to to keep you on the track. But it's not His track and His plan that He has for you, and He wants to get you back onto His actual track. Yeah. So uh, so disobedient. If you feel like there's areas in your life where you're being disobedient, if you're actively choosing to to sin, um, that's going to cause you. To wander in that place, yeah. Um, discipline is it because of God's discipline that you find yourself in a wilderness season? Um, well, the truth is, God disciplines those that He loves. Hebrews twelve seven says, "It is for discipline that you have to endure." God is treating you as sons or daughters. For what son or daughter is there whom their father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Hallelujah. Good news. Yeah? But it's important when we, when we hear the word discipline that we understand God's discipline and how it can differ from our own understanding of what discipline is. So I think growing up, it was like if your parents disciplined you, it generally involves some form of punishment. So we actually used the words kind of interchangeably. Um, and and I've, you know, as a, even as a parent, you're like, all right, time for some discipline, you're getting a smack. And it's like, well, that's more actually of a punishment for what you've done wrong rather than actually training you to, to walk into righteousness. So often we experience discipline as punishment. We do something bad, we see a bad consequence. But God's discipline is corrective and not punitive. Everybody know what punitive means? Like, so it's, it's about correction, not about punishment. So when God is disciplining you, it's not because you've done something bad and therefore you need a consequence. It's because you're not in the fullness and God is chipping away at those things that don't belong. So it's designed to realign and not to punish. It's like crafting a beautiful masterpiece out of stone. It's a refining work and not a destructive work. It's like God creating a beautiful statue and it's like you messed up so I'm going to smash one of your arms off or something. You know? But it's God in his, in his infinite wisdom and mercy and grace and love shaping and refining you. Um, I know that the Jewish people, when they looked at the Old Testament law and they understood the law, they didn't see it as a whole lot of restrictions on their life, but they saw it like uh, on a target and the bullseye. So for the Jewish people, the law wasn't something like, oh man, the law, oh man, that sucks so much, we have to follow the law. For them it was like, the law gives me the bullseye. If I want to live in perfect righteousness and purity and wholeness, even though that wasn't the absolute truth, because without Christ they couldn't, but that's how they kind of saw their life. I think with God's discipline, it's understanding that God is, is shaping you, gently shaping and molding you into becoming more like Jesus. So if you say, I feel like God's disciplining me, to understand it's not because you've done bad things. Jesus died on the cross because you've done bad things. <laughs> okay, so that's done, that's sorted. But if he's disciplining you, it's for your own good. And ultimately, you will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been tried by. So again, it's, it's all focused around you not around God. It's like if you wrong somebody, if you wrong me, I feel like, well, you need to be punished in order for me to feel better. But God doesn't discipline you so he feels better. He disciplines you so you ultimately feel better. Yeah? It's a love act. It's purely motivated by God's love for you. So that can be some of the reasons. But I think as well, one thing which I'd never really thought about is, is this idea of being in a season for the purpose of intercession. Okay, so does anybody, everybody know what intercession means? Does anybody not know what intercession means? Yeah? Essentially, it means to, to act on, the, on behalf of another. So we often understand intercession as, as like praying for other people. So you might be just at home on your own and you just feel like God lays somebody on your heart and you're just like, man, I'm just going to pray for that person. I'm going to pray for their breakthrough. I'm going to pray for their freedom. I'm going to pray for whatever it is that God puts on your heart. And God can do that. Some people are would be intercessors so that they have a, a particular gift where God seems to have them constantly just praying for other people and doing that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I feel like in this season I, I started to see intercession being something more than just, oh, I'll go and pray for you. I'll, go and, I'll stand in the gap for you. But actually that God might take you through a season 
in order to form something in you that would then be for the purpose of other people. So for me, I went through this, this short season of intense anxiety of God doing stuff in my spirit. And, and it was something where I felt like this God's called me to be a, a spiritual father, that he needed then to mature my spirit man to become like a spiritual father. So I wasn't just... Um, there's lots of things that you can learn. And again, this is, can um, unintentionally become the Christian life, is where we get our Bibles and we study everything and we learn how to behave like Jesus. Okay? But we don't become like Jesus. To become like Jesus is to have the internal life of Christ, the Spirit of Christ, Holy Spirit in you, becoming manifest and coming to the outside. Okay? The religious life is one where we, on the outside, we're trying to shape ourselves to, to look like Jesus. But it's not actually the life of Christ flowing out of you, which is very dry and boring and all that sort of stuff. Um, so to, to truly be a follower of Jesus is to become like him. So I'm not just learning... I've just got to think like Jesus, or I've got to, you know, I have my what would Jesus do bracelet on. Um, the, the, the reality is, and I've said this many times before, but Jesus didn't, never had to ask himself, what would I do? He didn't stand before a crowd, I wonder what Jesus would do, what would I do, you know? He just acted. He just acted out of who he was. And I think, and that's the journey that we're walking on, is that we actually start to naturally behave like Jesus because the life of Christ that has been formed in you, You're, you are a new creation shaped after the likeness of Jesus. And it's as that light then comes and comes out through you, as you're being transformed into like, you naturally just act like Jesus. That's what I want to do. I want to, I want that to be the most natural thing that I ever possibly do, is to be just like Jesus. Okay? Then I'd be shaped into his likeness. Um, so for me, it's like this thing of like, I get all these prophetic words about being a spiritual father. So I'm like, okay, well, I need to learn what it looks like to be a spiritual father. So I then can shape my, my thoughts about people in that way, how I behave around people, how I pray, all of that sort of stuff to, to, to act like a spiritual father. But the reality is God has put that in me by his spirit and he wants that reality to, become, to come to the outside. But if it's not being formed in me, then what I'll end up, what I would have ended up doing and could still, if I choose not to be obedient, is to then just behave like a spiritual father rather than to become a spiritual father. Yeah? So God, whatever God is calling you to be in Christ, you can learn what it is in the natural to behave like that or you can become like that. Yeah? It's a, it's a massive difference. And the fruit that will come out of it will be huge. The internal uh, dilemma will, will cease to exist. You won't have this. Has anybody ever felt like in their Christian walk like they're leading a double life? Come on. Thank you for being honest. The three of you. Liars. Um, oh, sorry. You, you might still be in your double life then. So, oh, no, we have to say, no, I've never, I've never lived a double life. I'm absolutely pure and all the time. That's it. That's it. <laughs> um, but there's that thing where you, then you have this, I mean, this is my early Christian journey. I grew up no, nothing to do with the church at all until I was 16 years of age. And that's enough time to develop some bad habits. Okay? But they're bad habits because they're in your heart, in the depth of who you are, not just because they're external. You know. Um, and so it's like you know, learning to swear on the inside now. I don't swear on the inside now. I don't swear on the outside anymore. Uh, it's like, well, it's, I, don't want, I don't want those words to exist in my internal vocabulary, let, let alone my external one. Um, and so it was something then to, but I always felt like I lived in this double life. It's like, this is how I really feel. This is how I'm going to act on the outside. 
Oh, that's lovely. I must want to kill you. Like it's, you know what I mean? But how, how often do we do it? And you get people who are just then trying to be nice Christians. But they're burning with, with anger and hatred and unforgiveness under the surface. And on the surface they're being all nice. It's like, this is not beneficial for anybody. Or is it just me? Um, so this life then of where God would lead you. Oh, that's what I felt like. I felt like then I'm in this season. And I, but I feel like, I feel like I'm, a, I feel like I'm a, quite a good dad. I know I could be a better father. But I'm like, if I died... And I got to the end of my life and died. Obviously, I will die one day. Um, and then I looked back over my life at, at how I loved my kids and how I all of, and my heart towards them and all that sort of stuff. I, I wouldn't feel like today like I'd be disappointed. Okay. Um, so it was something that I felt. Okay, so God's not doing it for me, and then to be a spiritual father, all this sort of stuff. So I feel like so God's taking me through this season, and it's not for my benefit ultimately. It's for the benefit of other people. To be, a, I feel like, if, if God's word is true that's been spoken and I become the person that God's called me to be, um, that it won't be, it's like I'll receive all the fruit from that. That'll be, it'll be nice, it'll be good, because you'll be obedient to Jesus and all that sort of stuff, but it's ultimately for the benefit of other people. Like the entire life of Jesus was. I'll get to that. Um, so Colossians 1, 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So Paul, I mean, if you look at, if you look at Paul's journey, incredible suffering and, and affliction and all this sort of stuff that happened. Um, I don't know where he was writing this letter from, but it was more than likely in prison. Um, but Paul says, I rejoice, as is, I rejoice in my sufferings. I'm suffering. Woo! Like, hallelujah. Um, but he does that for the sake of other people. And it says, And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So Paul looks at his life saying, I'm going through all of this suffering and hardship and it has nothing to do with the decisions that I'm making, but it's all to fulfill God's purposes for the sake of other people. And that's radical love. And I think it's important to understand, and I mean, every the commentaries that I've read about this, they're like, the point needs to be made clear that Paul's not saying that there was something insufficient in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The work was finished at the cross. Jesus said it very clear. The price has been paid for sin. Death has been defeated. He's risen again, conquered Satan, sin, death, all that sort of stuff. So I don't believe that's what Paul is talking about here. But in this processing, and I felt like God, as God's revealing this stuff to me, that there's something where Paul's saying, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Because although Jesus was tempted in every way, he didn't necessarily go through every season of hardship in order to come to a place of breakthrough. Ultimately, he paid the price so you can have breakthrough, but Jesus didn't go through every single possible season that could possibly ever exist for the sake of others. Yeah? So for me, I'm not saying, I'm just Brad Joss's opinion. I feel like what Paul is saying in this is that he's saying, I'm going through a season of hardship in order to have something formed that I can give to other people, to give away. And this is the word that I, that I felt like I got the other week. So our wilderness seasons and the breakthroughs that we endure to accomplish are prophetic declarations and tangible forms of hope for those who are in brokenness. 
And it's not just about having a word testimony, but a spiritual deposit testimony. You sow things in your spirit that produce things in the spirit realm. So I'll, I'll break this in. So our season, the season, if you're going through a wilderness season, if it's, a, if it's a, an intercessory season, it means God is saying, I'm going to take you through a season so I can form something in you that's going to be for the benefit of other people. And it's something where, um, so prophetic declarations, so if you make a prophetic declaration, so if you declare something prophetically, it has a spiritual substance to it. It's not just like words that we hear and have sound ways, but in this, because there's a spiritual realm, I believe that there's, there's like a substance to it. I don't know whether it has like a smell or it has a sound or it has a colour or something like If that makes sense, I know it's getting a bit weird, but... Um, but there's something of, you know, and it, it talks about that the power of the tongue, and in, in your tongue there is life and death. And that's talking like literal, it's like life and death is housed in the power of the tongue. So it means that I can speak life over people or I can speak death over people. But purely, if I said, Chris, uh, you know, if I spoke death over Chris, he could just go, whatever. But if there's a spiritual reality to that, then it's actually having an effect that we can be unaware of in the unseen realm that has an effect on people. If you curse somebody, it has an effect, a spiritual effect. That's why it talks about, you know, blessing. And in the same way, if you bless somebody, if you pray and speak blessing over people, it has a spec, a, a, an effect in a spiritual realm. Okay? Not just to their mind and what they hear, but it has something in a spiritual realm. In the same way with a prophetic word. I've had lots of prophetic words spoken over me. I'm like, there's nothing I can do and I don't feel any inclination to try and work towards that thing. Oh, God said I'm going to be this. Cool, I'm going to go and claim this stuff. Yes. Well, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Um, so I think there's a reality if we need to be, if, we, if when we become aware of it, then we need to pray against it and pray blessing over that person as well. But this is again a conversation I had with someone last night, and they're just like, they're just like, there's people in this city who are praying against you and your church. They're praying against your family. They're speaking death over you. They're cursing you. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> Like, are, you, are you sure? He's like, I guarantee it, 100%. There is people. There would be witches in this city who are who are praying against your church. There'd be people who are cursing you. I'm like, oh. that was they were trying to encourage me. Um, uh, try harder. Um, but it's it's a reality that that's like that's just we live in a spiritual world, and there there's a spiritual realm, and 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 that spirit, the the, the demonic, hates. Paradox Church, they hate you, they hate me, they hate my family, they hate the fact that, that God's provided this building for us. They hate everything about what we're about. Because we're about bringing life and God's kingdom and his rule and reign of Christ, and they're about death and destruction. And, and so, um, yeah. Yeah, just break the power of the curse, pray against it. And that's something that I've yeah, just been encouraged since last night, just to be doing, just to be, wow, this... Not to not to have all of my attention focused on the negative, but to say, but God, we just we just pray against any curses spoken over us. We just break them in Jesus' name. We have the authority. We have the power in Christ, so it's not a concern. But yeah, absolutely. No. Yeah. 
But when God reveals it, when he, when he exposes it, and this is again what these people are sharing, it's like, if you get a, a, a check in your spirit, I guess is that thing, if you get that sense like, hmm, or I get a sense where it's like, I think this sickness is, is actually not just natural sickness because I was hanging around sick people. You know, there, there's a spiritual dynamic to it that we're aware as well. We don't want to spiritualize and demonize everything. We also don't want to naturalize everything. So it's finding that healthy balance. And we live victorious in Christ and we have power and authority to so. The flaming arrows of the evil one that are extinguished by the shield of faith. Um, so in the same way that our, our, our like prophetic words kind of have a tangible spiritual reality, what I felt like I was saying is that this, these journeys that we go through, they're, they're like, it's like building up a spiritual deposit that can be released to other people. Okay? So you, you get a breakthrough in a particular area. And it's not just that you can then go... Oh, you, you, you're really struggling in this area? I struggle too in this area, and now I'm free from that. So have hope. But actually that you could, because God took you through that, and it was for the purpose of intercession, not because you needed to. Like I, in talking with people, it's like, I feel like God's taking me through a season, but I haven't done anything. <laughs> like, why me? Like, are you punishing me, God? Like, and that's the hardship. It's like, why am I? Why do I have to go through this season? And clearly there's other people over there that should be going through this season and I have to go through it and they don't. But it's like, oh, but God's like, oh, but I've chosen you to take you through it so that those people can get your breakthrough. Wow, that's crazy. Um, so it's not just about then having a word testament like God did this in my life, but it's actually, it's like a spiritual deposit that gets formed in you, that you then get to go and someone's like, I'm going through this same season. like, I went through this season, God's given me breakthrough, let me release the breakthrough that God gave to me, let me release that to you. And there's a spiritual... That's, anyway. um, cool. So in the same way that our prophetic declarations have a power, they contain life, and they are a substance that brings about creative shifts in atmospheres, lives and situations. It's a long sentence. Our seasons carry a tangible spiritual reality that can be imparted to people, to atmospheres and communities for a quickening of their breakthrough. I read it again. Okay, I'm gonna get. A, can, oh, can somebody get me a drink of water, please? Race, race, race. Thank you, Emily. So, in the same way that our prophetic declarations have power, life, and spiritual substance, okay. So, our prophetic declarations have power. They contain life, and they are a spiritual substance. Here, yeah? three things. And those things bring about, or can bring about, a creative shift in an atmosphere, in a person's life, or in a situation. So if you declare something prophetically, you can shift the atmosphere over a room, you can shift the atmosphere over a city through your prophetic declarations and prayers. Yeah? Cool? Um, You can... If you prophesy and declare things over a person you can bring about a creative shift. So it's actually something happens and it shifts and changes their life, yeah, through your prophetic declaration over them or over a particular situation. You're in a situation and you prophesy life and change and breakthrough and it happens, okay? So in the same way that our prophetic declarations have those elements, um, our seasons that and our seasons of breakthrough uh, carry a tangible spiritual reality that can be imparted to people that can be spoken over atmospheres and communities for a quickening of their breakthrough. 
Okay? So God takes you through a season, a wilderness season, and he does this, this amazing work in you, and it's for then the purpose of releasing that breakthrough over other people. Yeah? Okay. So we become the incubator that carries the thing that God wants to birth. Everyone know what an incubator is? They're like chicken eggs and they like warm up the eggs. and It's essentially creating uh, an environment where life can flourish. Yeah. So you become the incubator or the womb, the, that's probably a better thing, um, that carries the thing that God wants to birth. So you endure the pregnancy and birth the initial life in your own season that God then wants to release in a greater capacity in others. So we become the surrogate for other people's breakthrough. Yeah? I wrote this. It takes a special people for God to use for his intercession. It's an incredibly costly privilege. And that's the thing that almost, when I, like, when I felt like God spoke to me, it's like it almost brought me to tears. It's like, God, oh, that you would choose us to birth breakthrough in for the sake of other people. And then I look around and think, why, like, why are so many people in my life stuck in these wilderness seasons? What is going on, God? Like, we spend so much time and energy, right, like producing healthy people, and, and then all these healthy people are in hardship, and it just does not make any sense. And then it's like when I when I get this, I'm like, oh, but God, that's why. It's because you're looking at these people and you're saying, you can handle this, yeah. and this is going to be tough. It's going to be tough, Brad, but I know that you will be faithful. I know that you will endure to the end. So I know that I can trust that if I, if I put a baby in you, you're not going to abort it. Because I think too many people receive a spiritual baby from God that they then go and abort because they can't carry it through the season. Yeah? But God would look at you and he'd say, you know what, I reckon you're going to be faithful. You're not going to turn away. You're not going to neglect this thing that I'm wanting to birth through you for the sake of other people. And I'm going to choose you. And it's a costly privilege. I've never had to carry a baby, but I've spent time with someone who has. Number three. Um, Is giving birth to babies a costly privilege? (laughs) Okay. Well, so one thing as well is that um, not with... Mike and Abigail, at least they had no pain relief, but you have natural chemicals in your body that get released in, in, in labour, which kind of then puts you a bit out. So I see it all, <laughs> and I hear it all. I was like, oh, this seems painful. Um, <laughs> looking back, it's like, oh, yeah, it's a breeze. Um, but it is, it's, it's, it's a costly privilege to, to carry a child and to, and to bring it through. And I feel like God's just, and it might be an encouragement for some of you who find yourself in a season to go, and to ask God, if it's disobedience, then quit being disobedient. If it's because of sin that you're in that place, then deal with your sin and repent. But just ask God, God, have you got me in an intercessory season to do a breakthrough in me that's going to bring freedom in, in multitudes of other people? And you might, I mean, you might just be in a season where you don't even feel like it's a wilderness season, but you just know that God's forming things in you. Everything that God's forming in you is for the sake of other people. You get the you get the benefit of it as well. So I love John Piper, he talks about you know our life, and it's like it's for for God's glory, for our joy, and for the benefit of others. So your life, 
through your life, God should be glorified, you should be joyful, and other people should be benefited by your life. So Jesus' entire life was an intercessory act towards you. He came for no other reason but out of love for you. To live for you, to die for you, and to conquer death for you. To live as Christ is to live an other-centered life. To consider others more important than yourself and to be willing to endure seeds of hardship in order for others to receive your breakthrough. To say, I want to be like Jesus. Then it's the fullness of his life. It's the life that he lived. Okay, so God, that means I step out of self-focused life into other-centered life and you're going to take me through and you're going to form me into the likeness of Christ. Even though I could be completely happy, I'm quite comfortable. But God's like, I don't care about whether you're happy and comfortable. I want you to be like me. I want you to be like Jesus. Then that might mean then going through a season of hardship and suffering in order to bring breakthrough for the sake of other people because that was the entire life of Jesus. There was no other purpose. I don't know if Jesus particularly enjoyed anything that he did. Surely at the point, even as Amy shared a couple of weeks ago, at the point just before his crucifixion, he's like, God, if there's another way, would you take this cup from me? He didn't want to go to the cross, but he endured the cross for the hope and the joy set before him. Jesus endured a life of living surrounded. Can you imagine being aware of every amount of sin that exists and seeing all of that brokenness and knowing I'm God, I'm the creator of the universe and yet I'm going to put off my godness and live in submission to the Holy Spirit and be limited in that kind of way. And then to, to come to that point and to be rejected by people, by friends, by family, all that, and then to endure the physical pain and the spiritual pain of the cross. And all of that from beginning to end, all for the sake of others. All for your sake. Then for us to then go, okay, God, when, when, for me it's like when you put it in that perspective, Lord, it's like, okay, I'm willing to endure some hardship for the sake of other people. Because if I really want to say, if, I, if you put your hand up and say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. When we say that, if you say, I'm a Christian, it means you're a follower of Jesus. There's no other option for you but to be pursuing the likeness of Christ. You don't have an option to pursue your life anymore because your life is gone. You have been crucified with Christ. This is what Paul says, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And now I just live out this God life. And if the life of Jesus, if the perfection of God went through suffering and hardship, and it's not the same, it's not so that you can be the saviour of the world, but it might be that you can bring breakthrough for people. And we live in a community where there is lots of brokenness and therefore lots of breakthrough that's required. And it might be that God takes you through this really weird, crazy, intercessory season so that you can pray in a way and have prophetic, powerful prophetic declarations that break the stronghold of addiction over this community. But you could just pray it, or God could form it in you and then give you a spiritual substance and a power and authority in that to speak against those things. I don't know. Jesus' entire life was an intercessory act towards us. He came for no other reason 
but out of love for you, to live for you, to die for you, and to conquer death for you. That's the love of God. <laughs> and to be to walk in the love of God is to have that same heart for other people. And that's, for me, that's why I'm here. Like, I have no other purpose for living in Quinana than to see God's kingdom come and to see people meet Jesus. And that's not because I'm the pastor of the church. For me, it's like, I have no other option if this wasn't my job. I just have no other option. I, I, I can't live for myself anymore because I've seen and I've heard God's purposes, His plans, His life. And honestly, for me, it's like, because uh, I've been in situations where I'm like, do I, you know, maybe I'll just go get a job. I'm a qualified electrician. I can make a lot of money and be very comfortable. But nothing in that has any draw for me. And not that I couldn't be there and release this kingdom, but it's like, I just want to see your kingdom come more. But I don't feel like, I feel like sometimes I like, oh, that's because you're a pastor, Brad. Oh, that's because you're apostolic. Like, this is No, because it's in the life of Jesus. <laughs> I'm a Christian, that's why. If I, regardless of whatever job I had, whatever situation I had, if I say I'm a Christian, then the life of Jesus is my life to live. And it's yours as well. And that's why Jesus says, and it seems kind of a bit weird, like, oh God, we're going to get everyone saved. And Jesus says, no, you need to, you know, a builder doesn't just like to start building a building. They make plans and they map things out. They say, can I afford to build this building? And that's really what we should be offering people when we say, do you want to follow Jesus? It's like, would you like to die? Would you like to lay down your entire life and take up the life of Christ? And it sounds morbid and weird, but that is, that is what it is. And it's also, do you want to experience the abundant life of Jesus? Do you want to live life and receive joy and love and peace that you've never experienced before in your life? Because that's all going to come from it. But it takes that life of just being dying and for some strange reason that's exciting to me <laughs> and, and strangely like palatable and like that's awesome because I've tasted the life of Jesus and it's like if, if laying down my life to receive the life of Jesus that's what it tastes it's like hallelujah I'm in alright I'm going to pray Would you like to stand and maybe just come in onto the carpet, please? Just huddle in, face any direction. No, just a mob. Just, just put your hand on somebody. Just be hand on the shoulder. Just, just touch someone. Just going to pray. Thank you, Father. We just thank you, Jesus, for the life that you lived, the death that you died, and you did it all for us, Lord. We thank you, God. You did it all for us. Your eyes were focused on us the whole time, Lord. Father, just pray that you would, that that truth, that reality would just sink deep into our hearts, Lord. We'd receive it and it would shift something in us, Lord. And Lord, I just, it's like being a teenager at a youth camp, I just want to rededicate my life to you, God. 
I just say I rededicate my life to following you, Jesus, to pursuing you, Lord, and to being formed into your likeness. And if you want to just pray, then just pray. Say, Jesus, I give myself to you. I don't want to live my life. I want to live your life. And I'm willing to count the cost of living your life for the sake of others. And we thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit has been given to us, God. And I just pray, Father, just for a release, a greater measure of release of you, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I just release the Holy Spirit onto you right now in Jesus' name. Come in power, Lord. Come in fullness, God. Because we cannot live this life as Jesus could not live the life that he lived without your presence, Holy Spirit. Neither can we, God. We need it far more, God. We need it far more. So we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come in power and fullness, Lord, in greater measure than we've ever experienced before, God. And that you would rest like a dove, like you did on Jesus, Lord. And we would protect your presence, God. We would fight hard for your presence, Lord. We would discipline our lives in a way to protect your presence, God. That we would press in, we would set apart time, we would set apart our attention, God, to constantly be on you, Lord. Not in quiet times, Lord, but a constancy of just saying, what are you doing, Holy Spirit? What are you doing right now, Father God? And Lord, for those of us who are in wilderness seasons, Lord, for those of us who are in intercessory seasons, God, I just pray for a release of hope, Lord. And that we would know, God, that this is for you, it's because of your goodness, Lord. You're working out all things for our good, Lord. And you have good things for us, Lord. You have mighty promises, Lord. You have abundant life. You have a land of milk and honey available to us, Lord. But Lord, we thank you as well, God. It's not just about getting to that new land. And it's, it's about living in that new land, in that place of abundance, God. And being good stewards of that, Lord. And Lord, for those of us who have received breakthrough in areas, God, that we would see we live in the land of milk and honey. So I've got milk and honey to give away. I've got sustenance and, sustenance and sweetness to release to other people. God, that we do not go through seasons and receive breakthrough for our benefit, Lord. Because there is nothing in your life that was for you, Jesus. Except us, Lord. You wanted to win us to yourself, God. But you did all of those things for the sake of others, Lord. And that our lives, God, would be just like yours, Jesus. Would be focused on other people, Lord. That we would love you, God. And we would love people. And we would keep it that simple, Lord. And every day, God, that, that motivation would, would well up in our heart as we wake up. God, how can I love you today? In total freedom, Lord, how can I love you today? How can I just respond in love, Lord? Not because I have to. Not because I want to be a good Christian. Not because I want to tick the boxes. But just because I love you, Jesus. And Lord, how can I love people today? And Holy Spirit, as your presence contains love in it, the fruit of your spirit is love. That love would just naturally flow from us, God. They would not have a, any sort of motivation to, to get some quota or to be super Christians, Lord. But as you lived in an overflow of love, Jesus, we too would just live in an overflow of love. As we stay aware of your presence, God, stay connected in intimacy with you, Father God, that love would just flow. Love would flow.
Thank you, Jesus.